Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, good evening and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Francis, how are you doing today? I'm blessed. How are you today? <laughs> Great. We are uh, trying to meet the needs of our audience on this particular program. Um, we had a, um, a number of requests, actually, to begin to identify some of the lesser-known uh, saints and figures in the Carmelite order, but who nonetheless have a very powerful message to convey. And uh, we're going to discuss one of those individuals here today on the program. And we're going to title this program, A Retreat with Père Jacques, or Father Jacques. Uh, this is a um, French Carmelite. Uh, who um, died in uh, World War II. We'll go through some of the details, actually just following the war. We'll go through some of the details of his life. Uh, but Francis, anything you want to say specifically about the theme of this evening? Be still and know that I am God. We're yeah. going to listen to the silence. It's a, it's a book I see us... Um, publications put out uh, that is um, a collection of the conferences that Perry Jacques gave to some of the nuns. So we're, we're taking our material from that book, but I suggest everybody go to ICS Publications and get it. <laughs> yeah, the book is called Listen to the Silence, a Retreat with Perry Jacques, and we're going to have a, the essence of a retreat this evening. Uh, as we take you through what were actually his last conferences. Um, there's also a wonderful book that's more of a biography about him called Père Jacques Resplendent in Victory. Resplendent in Victory. And uh, both of these are by Francis J. Murphy. Uh, and they're both available through ICS. So uh, two great books uh, this evening uh, for your uh, reference. But as we do each program, let us begin as we should every uh, significant event, and let's do that by starting in prayer. Francis, well, would you lead us? We have a feast day of Our Lady coming up. Do you remember what it is? Uh, no, you're going to test me on this. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's Our Lady's Assumption, is it not? Yes, this week. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure I hadn't forgotten already. But um, anyway, so this uh, prayer um, beseeches Our Lady and also uses a, a little bit of material from uh, Père Jacques' own words. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Blessed Mother, Queen and Beauty of Mount Carmel, you, whose soul is filled with God, whose soul is a garden of virtues, an oasis of peace and silence, completely enveloped in the shadow of God, obtain for us this peace and silence, especially interior silence, which alone makes continual contact with God possible. Help us to be like you and be a solitary, silent garden where God will find his delights. Teach us how to listen to God, to grasp his words, and to live them out. Amen. Amen. Well, normally, Francis, we would be giving uh, perhaps a, a full program to a biographical sketch of an individual. Uh, we've done that with uh, the more significant saints in karma, the better known, let's say, uh, Saints in Carmel, St. John of the Cross, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Teresa of Avila, of course. Uh, but I would like us to be a little more brief in the biographical sketch this evening. We won't spend uh, perhaps more than a single program, um, at least for now, on Père Jacques. And so we want to cover some of the biographical material of his life quickly so we can get into this last 
uh, series of conferences, the last retreat he gave before he was taken captive by the Nazis, um, and without giving away the story, uh, that's uh, essentially where his public life ends. But let's learn a little bit about him. Um, Francis, wh- where was he born? Tell a little bit about his early life. Okay, well, he was born on January 29th at the turn of the century, 1900. Um, and his name was Lucien Bunel, if, if I haven't butchered the French. And he was one of the under- individuals who undertook efforts to help Jewish people during the Nazi occupation of France, like Mark introduced earlier. Um, his efforts uh, were to hide some of the Jewish students. Um, uh, unfortunately, they all got caught, um, which in the end results in Jacques going to um, the death camps. Um, but the point I wanted to put here is that he became a wonderful priest, was known for his preaching, and then decided to become a discalced Carmelite because he was searching for for this silence and for uh, a deeper uh, contact with God. And so uh, it's very interesting that like the previous program that we did with St. Raphael Kalinowski, here we have another um Discast Carmelite, who is very much into um, the people, the poor people, the oppressed people. And as much as he was into the silence and solitude, he uh, was encouraged because of his great preaching abilities to found a school, which was named after St. Therese, by the way. And then in this school, he uh, saw what was coming for the Jewish people, and he makes attempts to hide them. You want to come? Continue yeah, with the, story? Um, he, the school, of course, is um, the Petite College of St. Therese, uh, the infant of Jesus. And um, just one quick note about the uh, Carmel uh, that really led to his conversion, if you will. You're right, he was already a, a, a parish priest, but he was very taken early on in his training from his seminary. He had been able to go and make a visit to the Carmel of Pontoise. Uh, and again, I hope I'm not butchering the French there. Uh, but um, this is where he really began to be introduced into the life of Carmel and the life of silence. And um, as you said, later on, as he was a, um, um, a Carmelite priest, both giving conferences to the French uh, nuns uh, of Carmel across uh, the country and also uh, as the headmaster of this uh, Petite College of St. Therese. He uh, became very much embroiled in the effort to shelter the Jewish um, people, uh, in this case three young children who were enrolled in the school, and he tried to, uh, to keep them from the Nazis. Uh, he was later uh, named uh, one of the righteous among the nations by the state of Israel in 1985 as a result of his efforts, uh, which, as you mentioned, Francis, were unsuccessful. I guess we could argue they were unsuccessful. But all of this was portrayed in a wonderful film uh, that came out in 1987 called Au revoir les enfants, uh, Goodbye Little Children. And this um, autobiographical film, both written and produced by uh, director Louis Mallet. Uh, the screenplay, uh, screenplay was published um, in the same year, 1987. The film won the Golden Lion and the Venice Film Festival Awards. So really a wonderful film. I had a chance to view it just over a year ago. Um, not familiar, by the way, at the time with 
uh, Père Jacques' role, but nonetheless a, a very entertaining film, very uh, compelling film. The children, of course, were taken um, and were killed. Uh, Père Jacques was put in a concentration camp and died soon after his release by American forces in 1945. Um, so a difficult um, a difficult end of his life, in fact, suffering from tuberculosis when he rele- was released, he weighed only 75 pounds. Uh, and this was not a small person. Uh, Père Jacques was actually a very tall individual. Uh, so we know he suffered greatly in the uh, concentration camp. And he was at one of the worst of the worst of the concentration camps. He was. Camps. He was at one of the camps that was typically, it was reserved for the intellectuals and the elites of society. The Germans had uh, selected this uh, particular location um, in northern Austria where they would imprison these individuals. Many priests were there, for example. Um, and they were very difficult conditions that they lived under, yes. It's amazing. He lived and came out of it, but unfortunately died shortly thereafter. Shortly after, right. um, but we do have these conferences that the nuns uh, took notes from, and I'm sure they were great listeners because they were cloistered, discalced Carmelite nuns, and uh, you know they listened well. Well, right. They they didn't have any uh, tape recording or anything that they were doing at the time. But it's ironic that in 1990, when his case for uh, beatification was opened up, they began to go around France and all of the places that he had conducted these conferences and retreats to see if there was any material. And it turned out at this particular Carmel, uh, the nuns had, in shorthand, uh, taken down everything that he'd said. And so it was, uh, I say ironic, and I might uh, well uh, say that the Holy Spirit uh, actively engaged and said, um, we're going to save for the world uh, the last of uh, of Perjok's conferences, what it is that he had to impart. And these are very rich, these documents, these 14 uh, conferences delivered over the, the course of seven days in uh, 1944, I believe. Uh, I'm sorry, he was taken in 44. I think the conferences were actually delivered earlier than that. Uh, but nonetheless, one week of conferences, morning and night, and they're small, short in terms of uh, their uh, length, but very rich in terms of the material. Right. And so, you know, we're blessed to have them. And we're just going to kind of highlight just a few of the little nuggets, but there's so many. So we want to encourage you to um, look into getting that so that you can read it and benefit from the whole thing. Uh, but also, if you're listening, uh, please invoke Père Jacques to help you grow in this understanding of silence in prayer and um, understanding of suffering, um, understanding of how to live in truth and to act in righteousness. Uh, one of his quotes, which I really liked, um, uh, he was asked why he had have disobeyed the laws against sheltering the Jews. And his response was, I know only of one law, that of the Gospels and of love. And he lived that out. And so when you read about his life, you will see how he he was true to his own word. Yeah, I think that's an important message that we want to stress this evening. And I would encourage our listeners to think about this. You're going to be listening to the words. And I was right. It doesn't happen often, Francis, but I was right. (laughs) It was delivered in 1944, just before he was taken prisoner. Um, And uh, one of the things that uh, Père Jacques stresses is 
the significance of living out the Carmelite life. He raises a very high bar. He'll, he will challenge us this evening in this conversation uh, to live our Carmelite call to a very high degree, and it doesn't matter. We don't distinguish between uh, those who are the religious order and those who may be members, as Francis and I are, of the secular order. Um, the call remains the same. And, and also the, the call to all lay people, all Christians, all people everywhere, the call to holiness. Yeah, exactly. As we discussed in our last program on St. Kalinowski, who was a forerunner to the thoughts expressed in the Second Vatican Council, many of the ideas expressed, um, this call to holiness is a call that all Christians, by virtue of their baptism, are called to. And uh, Père Jacques is going to remind us in this particular series of conferences just what a high standard we're called to. But if we don't get to it, we won't finish it. Yeah, so, so let's begin. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to draw exactly, as Francis said, from the book itself, because he has some wonderful quotes here. And one of the first is, in the early conferences, he reminds us that really there is only one Carmel, he says. Little by little, some of us are impelled by an inner stirring and a deep spiritual need to enter a quiet, uninterrupted conversation with God. That, he says, is the true caramel of our forebears. This harkens back to the uh, program we did recently on Elijah. And we know that though in the material sense Elijah dwelt in the cave, we also know that he did so as representative of what he was trying to uh, both live out and demonstrate to us um, that the aromatical or the hermit life is one that's lived in the interior of the soul. It doesn't have to be lived in the interior of the cave. Well, and to go on, he says, and I quote, We can neither find nor embrace God, just as we cannot sit at his feet in order to gaze lovingly upon him, if we are immersed in noise and activity. So if you want to find God and you want to embrace God, you're not going to find him in the noise. I mean, you may be in noise, but you're going to have to find the silence within. And he goes on to say, we cannot hear the voice of God who speaks without words except in silence. Yeah. And, and we're not talking just about outwardly silence, but, right. but more importantly, that inward silence. And I know, as we do on occasion, Francis, we talk about the busyness of our individual lives and our children and our spouses and our work and so forth. And, and I can hear our listeners now, even without them calling in to say so, uh, many of them are saying, but you don't understand what my life is like. You don't understand, Mark or Francis, how busy things are and how noisy it can be. And my response as a father of six and a grandfather of four. <laughs> you have a little bit of experience. Busy occupation and, and all the rest of it. Uh, I think we both have some experience. So we do understand and we can relate. We are not uh, in a monastery, Francis, unfortunately at times, I would say. but Just a monastery at <laughs> the cell of our soul. Exactly. We, too, are called to that same uh, interior life. You know, St. John of the Cross, this is uh, Père Jacques quoting St. John of the Cross, who, when he was approached by St. Uh, Teresa um, uh, to... Uh, become part of the reform of the Carmelite order, he says, um, and he had wished at that time to enter our Carthusian monastery, he reminded St. Teresa, and Père Jacques quotes him by saying, he reminded her that life passes quickly, and we have to be reminded sometimes that life passes quickly, and the opportunities for us to serve God and to find him are limited if we don't take the time to find them, despite our busy lives. So we must focus on nothing, nothing, nothing but 
God. And yeah. if we're not keeping our single eye focused on God, like Elizabeth of the Trinity would tell us, blessed Elizabeth, bless you and pray for us, um, then we're, we're missing out. Uh, so let's, let's take advantage of this time. And, and as you're listening to us, you know, keep your eye focused on God. You know, he's present within you. So, you know, remember this and, and look at him. When you're in praying tonight, go within. Find him within. Don't think he's far off um, and that your soul is small and tiny. Teresa of Avila tells us, you know, your soul is expansive and full and light. And, um, you know, she, she encourages us that this is a great place to reside. It is a it's a um, a learned um, experience, I think, Francis, to be fair. Again, we, we have to be sensitive that people are along a spectrum, if you will, of um, experience in their spiritual life. So I caution our listeners not to, um, you know, retract at, at the suggestion that you have to dispense with everything in your life and and find this quiet. We understand Francis and I are still working through it. There's no question that we struggle with this. Um, but the call is there. And the, it isn't a question of saying to ourselves, well, I'm going to try it, but if it doesn't work, it, it just wasn't for me. The question is, how do we acquire the silence in the midst of our busy lives? How do we enter into that silence? That's the great call. That's the great challenge. That's what Elijah, as our model, lays out for us. That's what Teresa, in reforming the order and calling us back to the original rule, was saying to us. Don't be mistaken that life must be lived in a monastery or it must be lived in a cave. Life must be lived in the station where God has placed us, but it must always be lived in the interior. You know, uh, uh, Père Jacques says to us, truly authentic Carmelite lives, and he doesn't distinguish between secular and religious, Carmelite lives are lives of quiet, unceasing, silent, even hidden prayer, regardless of our state in life and regardless of the circumstances of our life. This is life in karma. When you hear so often this reference, life in karma, what was life in karma like? A certain saint lived life in Carmel. Carmel is not a place, although geographically it is. It is not the monastery. It is not even an idea. Carmel is our interior. It is where we dwell silently with the Lord. And Carmel means garden, so the garden of our soul. And, of course, when we say Our Lady of Mount Carmel, doesn't that, you know, give you a lot to ponder? Well, Perjok says something um, useful, I think, to help us along this path in the midst of these conferences. The soul, he says, needs the body in order to have the capacity to learn, to choose, to acquire all the elements of its intellectual life. And what's he saying here? You know, we've talked so often about um, the importance of the body in prayer or the uh, value and the benefit of suffering in the body, the value and the benefit of learning detachment, uh, the value and the benefit of learning uh, a spirit of poverty. All of these things are first experienced in our material life, which means they're experienced in the body, either in the mind or in the physical body. But Père Jacques wants to raise our understanding of that and say, the body is not a burden. It is not an impediment. It's not um, something to um, hate, you yeah. know, because, um, yeah. you know, there's a heresy about, you know, it's all about the spiritual and, you know, forget the, the right. corporal. That would be a distortion of, yeah. of Catholic doctrine, of course. Um, but in fact, he's saying 
the body is a means that the Lord has given us. It's a gift that he's given us to teach us along this path how to begin to practice detachment, how to begin to practice uh, um, the adoption of a spirit of poverty, how to practice sacrifice for another, i.e., um, the, um, the the virtue of uh, charity or the evangelical counsel of chastity. And he reemphasizes the importance of the evangelical counsel. Well, and we just talked about evangelical I can't even say the word. <laughs> Evangelical councils. We we had a program on that. We talked on that a little bit last week. And so on this council of poverty, well, that's our dependence on God. So that's a very good way to be. We want to have that dependence on God and not on self. There's a great story about that, too, that I often tell, and I may have said it on this program in the past, but Mother Teresa um, was counseled one time by one of her priests that she should get some money together and when they had to make the long trek into the village to acquire food, she should buy it in bulk, and then she'd have it for a period of time. And the priest said, Mother, isn't that a more efficient way you know, to, to sort of address the problem of feeding uh, so many people here in the community? And Mother looked at him, Mother Teresa looked at him and said, I took a vow of poverty, not a vow of efficiency. <laughs> and what she was trying to say was, I remain dependent on God every day. That's what the spirit of poverty means. That's what the evangelical council of poverty means. It's not that we have to go home and give everything away. We know that. It is this idea that we remain ever dependent on God. We don't look to stockpile things so that we release our dependence. Right. And, and you know, you also are referring to that in the spiritual sense is that we don't rely yeah. on ourselves to get the things, but we rely Absolutely. on God to provide for our needs. Absolutely. Um, and also that uh, council of chastity, which is the purity of heart, because we know the blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God and the counsel of obedience which is humility combined with faith I mean you could just spend a lot of time just praying on that little bit right there and really have a lot of food for thought well and again Perjac gave us this gift by saying the soul needs the body he's not saying you know it pulls the body along or the body's an impediment some of this teaching distorted teaching we've heard the reality is the soul needs the body to teach it uh how to grow into its deepest spiritual experience but sometimes with the body we're attached to the material aren't we yes exactly and our learning to detach uh, both in the material and the spiritual, gives us that deeper spiritual experience. And he Here, then refers to John the Cross about this. Yeah, he, he talks about this issue of... Um, um, St. John's analogy of the small thread that keeps the bird from from uh, flight. Uh, and he quotes him again, one attachment, he says, however small that violates our vows of obedience, poverty, and chastity, draws us away from God. May be nothing, these may be nothing but worldly standards. Nonetheless, that attachment comes between God and ourselves, and that's what impedes our ascent toward sanctity. Right. So it's, it's like, you know, you may not have a huge attachment, but even that it's a little attachment is going to keep you bound, just like that thin thread instead of a really thick rope. Right. You still have something holding you back. That's it. So you we got to cut it. We, we think to ourselves sometimes, I'll speak for myself, we, we sometimes use the analogy, well, it's only a little thing, it's only a little thing, but that little thing may be all that it takes to keep the bird from flying. 
Perjac uses another great uh, quote here. Uh, uh, another analogy. A quote. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I, I like this. Go ahead and uh, read The that. analogy on prayer? Mm. Okay, here it is. Prayer should be our steady, supernatural method of breathing. Yeah, he says we oftentimes set aside time for prayer. But he says prayer, remember he said this earlier, should be constant, right? We should be doing it continuously, unceasing, as Paul says, throughout the day. And then there'll be these moments of increased intensity, but those should grow in both frequency and duration. So it's sort of flipping the idea of prayer upside down. We think prayer is those, you know, those individual times where we make our way to the chapel or we make our way to a quiet spot in our house or what have you. And that's when we pray. And prayer jock says, no, prayer is this continuous, constant, interior state, unceasing, not allowing ourselves uh, to be without our breath, right? Our spiritual mm-hmm. breath on, on, uh, even for a moment. But he said there will be those moments uh, of intensity in deepening prayer where we may both increase frequency and duration over time, but those are the more intense moments of prayer. Prayer should never cease. It reminds me of an idiom I'd heard. Air is to the lungs as prayer is to the soul. Soul, yes. exactly. Yeah, great, a great quote. Well, let's give one other quote because it's from our own mother, Mother Teresa, uh, St. Teresa, that is. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break, but I wanted to get this in. He challenges us, as St. Teresa does, that if we've not found ourselves growing in our spiritual journey, it is not God who has failed us. This is Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, but rather we who have failed God. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a challenge, oh, isn't it? yes. <laughs> that's rather Lord mercy. <laughs> he says the main issue here is that we often seek the consolations of God, but not the God of all consolations. What a great quote. And in uh, his text specifically, he uses this idea, the consolations of God, but not the God of all consolation. He says, in truth... Are we any different? Are we not, likewise, lacking in courage and total acceptance? Do we not seek to exercise choice, to impose conditions in our relationship with God, and to make bargains? Mm. He says this is what we must avoid, mm. and this is why we fail in many cases to make progress. When, did, when was the last time we made a bargain with God? <laughs> uh, for me, it would be that. about an hour ago. <laughs> well, oh. he's beginning to raise the bar on us, so let's take a break, and we'll come right back. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Thank you. 
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I want to just remind our listeners, uh, for those who may have been listening for a while, of course, you'd be familiar with our various forms of communication. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Carmelite Conversations. And you can also email us at Carmelite, that's with a capital C, Carmelite.conversations at yahoo.com. Again, Carmelite, capital C, Carmelite Conversations at yahoo.com. We're always thrilled to hear from you. And we do take your advice. This evening's program is an example of our willingness to, to deal with some of the um, lesser known figures in Carmel. But let's pick up Francis uh, on uh, his uh, central theme, I think, and that is that our soul, and I use the word uh, soul as in S-O-U-L, our soul aim in life is simply to conform our life in the imitation of Christ. And Christ's life, his earthly life, was nothing more than his effort to conform himself to the will of his Father. What a great quote from uh, Père Jacques. Exactly. I'm, I'm with you. So <laughs> now what? <laughs> All right. And in discussing uh, divine preparation course, he, uh, Perjac, spends an awful lot of time on Mary, the Blessed Mother, and uses a verse from Matthew twenty one thirteen that I think is very pertinent to this discussion of the preparation of the Blessed Mother. My house, he says, this is quoting our Lord in Matthew, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He then goes on to say that if we are truthful, we have to face the fact that we have not used Mary as our model, and we are more often conducting commerce in the house of God. Okay, explain that. Well, by commerce, we mean what we said before, what he said uh, before in this quote of following his reference to uh, Mother Teresa. He says, in truth, uh, we are lacking in courage, total acceptance. We do not seek to exercise choice. We instead impose conditions and we bargain on our relationship right, so that's with what God. We're okay. And that's what he's talking about, that we we have this ongoing sort of debate and and God, if you'll do this, and I don't mean that, you know, many of us say, well, God, if you do this and, you know, deliver me a car or a spouse or, you know, resolution of my sickness, then I'll do those things. Some of us do pray that way. But he's saying this is sort of an ongoing um, dialogue with God that we put conditions on our relationship with God. We're conducting commerce with God. And that's exactly what our Lord um, very uh, directly told us not to do, and instead he holds up the Blessed Mother as the house of prayer that he wants us to be. And that commerce may also be manifested maybe by um, when we say, okay, we're going to earn God's love by doing this and this and this and this, and therefore he owes me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can get caught in that little trap. And instead of knowing with with with. 100% uh, assurance that God loves us with warts and all, yeah. you know? He loves us, and it is just us responding to him that's the problem. Yeah, we, you know, uh, it's a very difficult thing, especially if uh, folks are new to the spiritual walk or maybe have been 
um, Catholic or Christian their entire life, uh, but may only now beginning to uh, be beginning to explore a deeper interior relationship with our Lord. And what we have to come to an understanding of is that much of our perception of our relationship with God may be off course. It, it might simply be wrong. And we have to remember that God is Father. You know, uh, Catherine of Siena, who we, we like to quote, she's very close to, I think, Carmelite uh, spirituality in many ways, but she used to begin many of her prayers, you are the great you know, one who is, and I am the one who is not. And she would say, I have to remind myself, you know, sort of who's who in this relationship, right? And Teresa said that, too. You know, we yeah. need to know who we, who it is that we're talking to and, we need and to who we respectful. are in relationship to yeah. him. So, And that's something we struggle with because, you know, we come to prayer early on. This is simply the human experience. We come to prayer early on thinking that we're in a sort of one-to-one relationship with God the Father. And in fact, as much as he loves us and he's He's working in every event in our life to bring us closer to him, we eventually have to come to the realization we're not in a one-to-one sort of relationship or a you know same-level relationship. We're the ones who are fallen. We're the ones who need redemption. We're the ones who need healing. He's the healer. And we have to get that positioning, if you will, that, that relationship uh, understood. Well, but, and that leads us to this next uh, scripture passage um, that is very important for us to remember, the dignity of the body and of the soul, which is, um, this one's coming from 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And then again... Uh, from John fourteen twenty three, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John fourteen twenty three, right. And again, this is where all through this section, Père Jacques is reminding us of the... Um, the model of the Blessed Mother, what it is that she uh, presents to us as this uh, body, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, a house of prayer, and how, if anybody loves um, uh, my Father and does uh, his will, that we will come and live with him. You know, we could spend hours, Francis, on this idea, hours in prayer, on this idea of God dwelling within us. Père Jacques, uh, echoing um, Elizabeth of the Trinity, also talks about this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need to come to understand what that is. We may do a separate program on that at some point, but because um, there are many ways to understand that theologically, philosophically, spiritually, but we need to come to understand it, and the best way to do that is in prayer, is in deep prayer. We cannot dismiss um, so many instances where our Lord, where St. Paul, uh, where the scriptures remind us that we are the house of God, that the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, dwell within us, that the Lord wants to dwell within us. We have to understand what that means. And in part, our model for that is the Blessed Mother. You're absolutely right. And we could ponder a great deal on her as being the house of, uh, or temple of the Holy Spirit and, um, the house of God. I like that idea for prayer. We can do that tonight. Well, he goes on to explain this and give us, gives us a little bit of insight on it. He says, after reiterating the reality of Mary's perpetual virginity, church teaching, of course, um, he says something that's quite important about the understanding of spiritual virginity. You want to read that? 
quote? Okay. It's, virginity entails eliminating within us anything that does not come from God and does not express God's will. And that title, he says, is reserved for the soul, and I'm reading again, direct quote, is reserved for the soul who valiantly and totally submits to God, as did the Blessed Virgin Mary. So he's elevating virginity. You know, we have this sort of ongoing debate with some outside the church uh, on Mary's perpetual virginity, pretty well uh, settled for us inside the church, but um, but. Perjac is elevating this uh, to a new standard for all of us. Perpetual virginity, he says, is the elimination of all those things in our heart that taint our heart, uh, that keep us, that are, in fact, impediments from our love of God. And doing his will. And doing his will. And, and much like John's uh, St. John of the Cross's thread, you know, anything uh, that discolors our affection uh, within our heart may serve to uh, uh, in some way uh, dampen, darken, or impede our perpetual virginity, which is really about purity of heart. Okay, so, you know, these are all very serious things, and so many of us are going to oh, start struggling <laughs> with all these serious things. And, and, you know, it might get us to say, well, okay, so what's my life about? You know, um, what would you say? Well, I'm going to say what Père Jacques said. Um, <laughs> did you like right. that lead-in? <laughs> I did. Thank you very much. Uh, you're right, though. This came up in the Carmelite um, uh, conferences this weekend. Uh, someone said, boy, you know, it, it's, it can start to sound like there's a lot of work here and there's just a lot of grind. Overwhelming. And where's the joy and so forth? Well, um, Père Jacques says, our life is very simple. It's very simple. It's exactly what the Blessed Mother's life is. Prayer is our life's work. That's it. It comes down to this simple challenge, fulfilling our daily work, the work of prayer, the work of love, and the work of contemplation. But wait, Mark, Francis, I have all these things I have to do all day. (laughs) You know, uh, someone we both know, Father Daniel Channing, who's been a guest of this show on a couple occasions and someone we have great respect for, uh, a Carmelite uh, priest himself, um, reminded me at one point when I was saying, well, but, you know, I've got this trial at work and I have these struggles at work and all this is, you know, impeding my progress. And he said, no, no, no. He said, you have to do every task throughout the course of the day with love. Simply do it with love. And you transform the most difficult elements of your day, the most difficult events of your day, into an opportunity for grace, into an opportunity for love. That reminds me at Mass when we hear, with him, in him, through him. And I'm just like, uh, I could just stay on that little phrase and, and, you know, be rejoicing. (laughs) Now, uh, we shouldn't minimize the importance of the... Uh, struggle and the trial and at times the dying to self, right? right? Obedience means that we have to be obedient in our workplace, sometimes obedient to our tasks and our responsibilities in life. Yeah, it may and be that, simple, but it may not be easy. <laughs> it may not be easy. It requires what? A dying to self. But Père Jacques reminds us of this also, and again, I'm quoting him directly. He says, uh, the degree to which we die to self is the degree to which we will know the fullness of prayer. So again, it's it sounds difficult, it is, but it's not complicated. Our life's work, as Carmelites, our life's work is prayer. What is our life's work? Everything we do must become that prayer. How is that possible? By transforming even the most difficult experiences into love. And how do we do that? By dying to self. And then prayer is fulfilled through those events. 
Very good. I I think we need to, you know, put that on a poster, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at it every day, remind ourselves. It's a good thing to carry in in your wallet or a purse or something to remind you. Yes, it's it's good to have those little verses and maybe little models and pictures. Well, Père Jacques goes on to say some other remarkable things about this idea of dying to self and suffering, and this caught my attention. He says um, that Christ's suffering did not begin the night before his crucifixion. And I was really taken by that uh, phrase, and I had to step back a little bit and say, as I always do, because St. John of the Cross taught me this, if I can't find it in Scripture, then I'm uncomfortable with it. And even our most accomplished uh, educators and spiritual directors in Carmel uh, can sometimes uh, give us direction that um, you know we, we find confusing. So we've got to go look for it. And I found this scripture verse in Luke 12:50 from Christ. I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Now, if Christ is distressed, I don't think it was insignificant. I think it was probably a fairly significant uh, distress that he was suffering. And what, of course, he's talking about is this baptism of the crucifixion that he has to undergo. But he wants that moment. He wants the opportunity. He wants to fulfill his mission and how distressed he is until it's accomplished. He knows that this dying to self is something he's going to have to experience all along his journey throughout uh, the course of his short life in this earth. But he brings us to another point on this idea of Christ's suffering before the crucifixion, and that is the silence of Christ. In the midst of all of his dialogue and communication, even with his apostles, his most intimate friends, um, Christ never completely revealed himself. He couldn't uh, because he knew that the apostles, the interior of their souls, uh, demonstrated that they weren't ready yet to accept it. So the point that Pere Jacques uh, emphasizes is this silence of Christ. And in fact, uh, he talks about, um, there's a wonderful quote here from the book, directly from the text, where he talks about Christ's silence and says, the serene silence of Jesus thus flows from the secret deep within him. Moreover, he likewise enjoys times of deep joy, but they are constantly accompanied by the dreadful image of Calvary and the disappointment derived from the human sinfulness around him. But there's something else we want to say about silence. Oh, yes, I have a little story that will help us to to really um, capture this idea. There were three brothers, and one of them, and these are are priests, their mission would be to bring people to reconciliation. That was the first one. He's going to bring them to reconciliation. The second one decided he's going to visit the sick. And the third decided to go to the desert and live in silence. Well, the first one... Uh, found himself constantly between conflicting sides, and it was very difficult uh, finding reconciliation. And so he did not succeed in bringing about some of the peace that he wanted, and so he was in distress. Uh, So he went to find how the second one was doing, and he found him in despondency because of the... uh, the sickness and what was confronting him. So they decided to go to the third brother in the desert and ask him, you know, whether he achieved anything in the desert. And instead of an answer, this one poured some water into a chalice and invited his brothers to look at it. The water was so muddy that nothing nothing could be seen in it. After a short time, the hermit uh, invited his guests to look again. The water settled and became transparent enough for them to see the reflection 
faces reflected on its surface. The hermit then said, Someone who lives among the passions and cares of the world will always be perturbed by thoughts, while a hermit contemplates God in stillness. Very so good. I'm like, let, let, the, let the mud settle to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. And, and, and that stillness and solitude leads us to silence, right? I mean, again, the use of the body, but also, um, you know, uh, taking control of our thoughts uh, allows the sediment to settle. Well, and, and I'm also thinking of as you look upon a, a still pond, you know, and it's so glassy, and then you throw a rock, you know, skipping rocks, and it creates all those rings, those reverberations. You know, when you're in silence and prayer and you have that smoothness, that's that, uh, you know, it's just that sense. There's no words for it. Um, and then, you know, here comes this uh, nugget, you know, and it just reverberates. And, and then you're filled with fruit from this prayer, and then it goes to the people. People you talk to, and then you know it, it extends. Père Jacques is, um, in fact, he spent a couple of these conferences uh, talking about silence, and he uses some wonderful quotes here. Uh, one of them is, "God dwells in silence." He is eternal silence because he is the one who has totally realized his own being because he says all and he possesses all. And it reminded me of a discussion we'd had earlier about this idea of um, the Trinity, of course, uh, God, if we can think of it this way, the intellect, Christ, the word, um, and the spirit is the action in God. That's all one. There's no disunity in God. It's all one. We, we can only begin to intellectually grasp this idea, but there's no disconnect between thought, word, and deed in the Trinity. They're all right. one mm-hmm. in us, in the human person, in the um, fallen human nature that we struggle with, there's always disunity right. between thought, word, and chaos. <laughs> yeah. but, but if we remember Genesis, from the chaos came order and harmony. Right. Uh, he goes on um, to point out a couple of interesting uh, things about this idea of silence. He says, God works in the silence of the night. Uh, contemplate the incarnation, for example. He says it was accomplished in the silence of the Virgin Mary's chamber at a time when she was in prolonged silence. Our Lord's birth came during the night while all things were enveloped again in silence. The works of God are marked by silence. It is in the silence of prayer and retreat, in the silence of the desert and the forest, that great souls receive their messages from God. We need to look no further than our own rule, he says, to affirm the necessity of silence. The rule seems to say to us, are you seeking to find God? Then listen to the silence. Immerse yourself in silence. It would be a contradiction, he says, to say seriously that one wishes to be a true Carmelite and yet reject the opportunities for silence. So he stresses this point time and time again, and then he finishes that particular conference with the story. He says, while I was speaking to you this morning, several bombs, now this is during World War II, 1944, we confirmed earlier, several bombs landed only 20-odd miles from here. Countless victims died, he said. Then they had to appear before God and render an account of their lives. We likewise will be called one day to render an account of our lives. I would be remiss, he says, if I did not speak to you as I have. I am telling you only what the Lord wants to tell you. 
do not think that I am too demanding, and I think he's very demanding. <laughs> um, it is our <laughs> ideal, he says, that is demanding. I so wish for you, I wish to, uh, which I cherish, the wish I cherish, is that you would become one of the greatest Carmelites in France, ablaze with the love of God. And I think he could be well be speaking to any one of us, Francis, and saying he wishes each and every individual one of us to become one of the great Carmelites. Yes, and that reminds me of the that line. Uh, didn't Jesus say something about uh, that he wished all the world were set on fire, set aflame? And I think he's talking about that flame of divine love, that we're yeah. all flaming yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's pick up on this idea of suffering just briefly, because he closes it out with a great quote. You want to read that one? Oh, I don't have it yet, so... Uh um, go ahead. Uh, he says, Perjac says, we can deal with suffering in one of two ways. He says, we can reject it. We can run away from it. We can try to remove it. We can do everything to avoid it. Or he says, and I love this phrase, we can baptize it. What a great analogy. And this is how he describes it. Christ knew that this way of dealing with suffering is simply a kind of, the, the, the removal of it, he says, is a stopgap and does not strike at the root of evil. It can work for only a few days or months. Christ adopted another way, a deeply divine, definite way. Christ converted suffering into happiness. Okay, listen closely. Suffering can still come, but it is no longer a sadness. Christ taught us to overtake suffering at its source. There, where it springs up, we can seize and transform it. There we can change its nature and make it a source of happiness. Since Christ chose suffering for himself, suffering is not a curse or a plague to be avoided. Christ welcomed the cross and even said, He who wishes to come after me must take up his cross every day and follow in my footsteps. So, rather than this idea of avoiding and moving away from suffering, Christ challenges us to go in the opposite direction and says, embrace it. Brother Lawrence, who we talked about a number of uh, weeks ago, says, um, you know, I don't, I don't uh, refrain from suffering. I don't uh, um, simply avoid it. He says, I mount that suffering and I use it to ride on the wings that carry me to holiness. What I, a remarkable thing. And I think Perry Jacques said something about let's baptize that suffering. Yeah, yeah, baptize it. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way he looked at it, and that's uh, a fundamentally different perspective, I think, than, than uh, how we oftentimes look at it. Well, let's finish by uh, laying down the law, so to speak, as Père Jacques did. Uh, first of all, he's going to challenge us with his own prayer, and this is taken directly from his text. But read that prayer that he, that he offers us, and this is in preparation, uh, he says... Uh, uh, that so many of us think that we're regressing as we're experiencing suffering and trial and dryness and tribulation. He says so many souls that are actually making progress think they're moving backwards. And so he offers us this prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O oh God, I wish to be just what I am. For as long as you so will, I am aware of an evil strain deep within me. That strain spawns egotism, infidelity, and hostility, leading to moodiness, laziness, and self-indulgence. I wish to be fully what I am, for I know you are all-powerful and could change me in an instant. Yet, at the same time, you are infinitely loving and offer me whatever is for my best. I have total trust in you. You are all-powerful, and you love me. 
Amen. Amen. Well, that's a, a prayer that he used in this uh, particular conference. Um, and then he closed the conference with this. And I want to read our listeners this one uh, comment because it really, I think, challenges certainly those of us who are following the rule of Carmel. And I would uh, hope that many more will begin to do that. But also for all Christians, we should um, elevate ourselves to this standard. True Carmelites, Christians, if you will, are committed to saving the world day by day. They grow in prayerfulness and year by year they become living embodiments of the rule. Admittedly, we may be far from perfect at the beginning of our religious life. However, once we've completed our apprenticeship through prayer, we must be the living embodiment of the rule. And for no other reason than to work with Christ for the salvation of the world, pray to our saints, pray to the Virgin Mary to help us to attain that goal. Well, I want to thank our our listeners this evening for participating and listening in our conversation and and, uh, sharing with us this challenge that Père Jacques has brought us to live um, to the very fullest our Carmelite call and our Christian call uh, given to us at our baptism to fulfill God's will and to be an embodiment and fulfillment of that will in this world. And I want to thank you all for uh, participating. Uh, Francis, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you, I think, in two weeks now. Yes, I'm right? going to go to the OCDS Carmelite yeah. Congress. And we're going to expect a full report when okay, you get back. Okay, you got that. it. We'll I'm excited. Please, please pray for me, all of you out there. Pray for our, uh, our our program and for all Carmelites and, of course, uh, uh, for those uh, who we know are struggling in these difficult times. Again, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.